Dynasty. Won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about The, the Rockford, Rockford Files. I wish I had a video of you doing this. It's such a good theme song. You know, I wish somebody would do a mashup of that and Sanford and Son. I mean, it would be pretty similar, those bass lines. It's the harmonica. Such a good time. We'll talk about the, the theme song soon. Mike Post. Um, Mike Post. He's excellent. He did like 50,000 different TV theme songs. Very prolific. He was. Uh, take yourself back to 1974. Uh, on February 4th, heiress Patty Hearst is kidnapped outside her apartment in Berkeley, California by the Symbionese Liberation Army. Yeah. Eventually leads to her helping them rob banks, culminating in a two-hour shootout on May 17th with the LAPD, leaving six members of the SLA dead. She was one of the first... Uh, cases of the Stockholm Syndrome. Yes. And uh, she was completely brainwashed by the SLA. She was. And she was holding that machine. The the picture of her holding that machine going with that beret on is <laughs> it's, iconic, man. Yeah, it is. Then she went on to do John Waters films. So, oh, yeah. yeah. She's, she's, <laughs> because God knows when you're part of a terrorist well, organization. She was brainwashed. I know. I, I mean, know. it's a really interesting was story. She? Was she? Oh, yes. I watched okay. the Patty Hearst story. Oh, the oh, 70s oh. TV movie. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> on March 4th, People Magazine's first issue was published in the U.S. with Mia Farrow on the cover. That's crazy. I really thought that was around for much longer. That's why I put it in, because I thought it was from like the 50s. Maybe I'm thinking of Movie Tone. Oh, movie tone. I don't know. Or that was Us, a Us magazine or something. I think Us came after people. I probably. I sounds know. like an I'm not thing. up on my tabloids. Or I don't know if those are tabloids. What are those? Uh, yeah, I would call it. A glamour. I'm sorry. A tabloid. A tabloid. A tabloid. Yes. Uh, no, I, wouldn't they just be uh, celebrity magazines? Yeah, but it's still kind of the tabloids. I mean, but it's, it's more like, you know, it's, look how great this person yeah, is. Yeah, it's not like making stuff up about them, but it's still like. It's the. Uh, they pry deep. The, the Cameron Burr. Whatever diet from what, what's that girl from? <laughs> <laughs> what how, did, <laughs> how did Ashley Kate Olson get so skinny? <laughs> depression, March eighth, depression, depression, and cigarettes. <clears throat> March eighth, <laughs> the final episode of the Brady Bunch airs again. This whole timeline has rocked my world, man, because. I thought that ended a lot sooner. I thought that was done in like 69 or something. Oh, I really? Didn't, I didn't think I was alive during I the... I thought it went later. I thought, for some reason, I thought it ended in the late 70s. Yeah, it's weird. This I whole, mean, it's messing with my mind, Reruns man. and syndication just kind of screws everything up. Uh, but I, I mostly, wanted, mostly wanted to include it because of the titanic shift between the themes of the Brady Bunch and stuff like the Rockford Files. But it was just so crazy that the Brady Bunch ended with Bobby murdering everybody... <laughs> And then setting the house on fire with himself still in it. It was the 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 basis of the the first TV movie for the Rockford Files. Yeah, he's, he's just, he's just murders. Bobby's just sitting there the with the flames engulfing him. There's the story. <laughs> it was really sad. Yeah, I was surprised. Yeah. But you know who made it? Tiger. Of course he did. Yeah, because dog ain't going to burn, baby. Dog, dog knows how to run away from fire. <laughs> <laughs> he ran over to the butcher. What's his name? Al? No, was not it? Al. Uh, no, it was... Uh, 
Or was it Al? I don't know. I don't Alice know. loved anyway. that butcher. No, it was they, Alice. Alice. That's right. It was Alice, Alice and... It'd be weird if it was Alice and Al. Al and Alice. Uh. It was like Bob the Butcher or something. I don't know. <laughs> Let us know. Yeah. Uh, March 27th, premiere of The Rockford Files on NBC, which it was technically the premiere of the TV movie, which was kind of their quote-unquote backdoor pilot. Yeah, but it was yeah. 100%, except for the fact that Rocky was, it was a different a, It actor. was a different Rocky. It was out of the gate, the show. It was the show, yeah, yeah. It, and and the only other difference was that they didn't include the phone message at the beginning. Right, that right. That was added in later for syndication. Right, which the Simpsons couch gag is a visual representation of the phone gag, the f- which is one of the yeah. first... The phone gag is phenomenal. Oh, it's great. Yeah. It's always like, beep. <laughs> Mr. Rockford, this is Bob Franks from the collection agency. We want my favorite is uh, Mr. Rockford. This is Bob Johnson from the Worldwide Encyclopedia Corporation. You haven't returned the first volume of your book, so we'll be sending you all the other volumes at a considerable mock-up. They were so fun. They had literally nothing to do with the the plot or the show. It was just some random, usually him owing money. Yes. Or checks bouncing. Yes. (laughs) It's like, this is the supermarket. Your check is bouncing in. Should I tear it up? I'll put it with the others. Exactly. All right. Let's go. Uh, Origins of the Rockford Files uh, came with uh, producers Roy Huggins and Stephen J. Cannell. Huggins. Little Roy Huggins. They created the Rockford character as a rather significant departure from typical television detectives at the time. Essentially a Brett Maverick as a modern detective. Yeah. Just an every guy, you know. Yeah, just a dude. He's not... Faults and all, baby. Yeah. Oh, a lot of faults. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Roy Huggins, uh, he was a novelist in the late 40s with much success. He entered Hollywood with a contract to write and direct movies starting in 1952. Huggins was a member of the Communist Party USA until the Nazi-Soviet Non-Aggression Pact of 1939. Were you? Have you ever been a member of the Communist Party, sir? He was actually in front of the House American Un-American yeah, Activities. Uh, he named 17 people who had already been named. Ooh, they'd named already been names. named. Yeah, but they'd already been named. So right. it wasn't like, it was like he knew that they would already have it. Still a little shady. Deal. But he had to do something. I well, mean, other guys didn't. I agree. But I just want to point out that he was part of the Communist Party until they started cozying up with Nazis. That's how bad the Nazis are. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, the Nazis are pretty bad at yeah. it. to take a well, stance. There's some people that don't believe that right now, Jim. <laughs> Those people don't really know what Nazis are. He moved to television in 1955 with a Warner Brothers contract. He created Maverick, the TV show in 1957, which ran for five seasons, and introduced him to James Garner. Yes, Maverick is a great Western. It was a comedy, and Brett Maverick's like a gambler and a 'er ne'er-do-well who always gets caught up. He's kind of a bounty hunter, too, I think. Yeah, I mean, similar to Rockford Files, like, he kind of gets caught up in stuff and does things. Although in Rockford Files, obviously, he's getting hired to right, do things. Right. But, like, Maverick would happen upon these things. You know what's and... crazy about Maverick? There was a period where Garner couldn't do it, and they brought in James Bond, uh, Roger Moore. They oh. brought in Roger Moore as, like, his English cousin who came oh, in yeah, and was, yeah. like, he was still a Maverick. Yeah, but yeah. But he wasn't Brett Maverick, he so he filled right. in for him for a while. It was really weird. That is weird. That is weird. And uh, also, Stuart Mogulin was also on Maverick. Oh, really? Playing a very similar character <laughs> to Angel. Uh, <laughs> kind of like, a, you know, the same kind of... Brett, mm-hmm. Brett, you got to help me, Brett. I'm ready, ready. I'm ready. I'm trouble, ready. <laughs> he, George uh, uh, Huggins created 77 Sunset Strip in 1958. Uh, Huggins was also created... 
also created what became known as he the was sorry, he was created <laughs> by his parents. Uh, no, Huggins also created what became known as the Huggins contract. Uh, due to Warner Brothers circumventing that sounds his like property. a really uh, weird thing that you do at the massage parlor or at the house of prostitution. I if it wasn't for Roy Huggins, <laughs> literally we wouldn't have TV the way we do now. Wow! Because he was the first one that said had a clause in his contract that said if I create it, it's mine. Ooh! And this is how now a lot of people, like let's say like um, David Chase with House, like a lot of these people will essentially just create a pilot yeah. and then their names on it forever and sure. they always get money for it. Yeah. But now, granted, Roy Huggins had a good point for this because he had helped create a TV show and he got screwed out a ton of money. Right, so he learned his lesson. Yeah, so that's why he eventually quit Warner Brothers and moved to Universal, but he he put this as a boilerplate into his contract and nice. everyone just started mimicking it because it was money. <laughs> well, yep. Money likes I mean, it makes money. sense. But he was the first one. He was the first one. So, uh, but he became vice president of television for Universal in 1962 and created The Fugitive in 1963. Nice. Before eventually creating uh, Rockford Files with Stephen J. Cannell, who was the other creator nice. of Rockford Files. The Fugitive, carrying on the prejudice against amputee <laughs> <laughs> that goes on till today everybody still is afraid of amputees you only have one arm i can't trust you Sorry. exactly yeah uh stephen j cannell is actually dyslexic he would uh hire typists to help him with his what he called his spelling problem uh, he still had it up until the day he died he never got over his dyslexia i don't know if you can i don't know i don't know uh he's still a great writer he started with uh, it takes a thief starring robert Rag- wagner in 1968 he wrote for Ironside and Columbo. Nice. Uh, he got, had a really nice, deep, rich uh, private detective, or I guess... Uh, detective. Criminal case. Sure. Kind of thing. Crime. Yeah, crime. Fiction. Crime fiction. There you go. Thank you. In 1971, he received a telephone call from friend, from friend Herman Saunders, who was the producer on Jack Webb's police series, Adam 12. They needed One a, Adam 12. One <laughs> Adam 12. Exactly. They needed a script right away, and Saunders asked if Cannell would be interested in writing it. He literally delivered the script the next day. Nice. Well, you know, Adam 12 wasn't a brain to no. trust. <laughs> no, it wasn't. But he worked fast, and he did it. He became a story editor for the show until it was canceled in 1973. He was put on contract by Universal Television in 1973 at the same time. Stephen J. Cannell said of his time there, I signed a deal as a head writer to make $600 a week. I was the cheapest writer on the lot. It was the lowest deal you could do by Writer's Guild standards. But I'd been working for my dad for $7,000 a year. I was at Universal for eight years, and I never renegotiated my deal but once. It was late in my arrangement with Universal. There was one thing in my deal that my agent had managed to get in there. I had good fees from my pilots. The reason they did it is they never thought I was going to write a pilot, so they'd give me $70,000 to write a two-hour pilot and $100,000 production bonus if I ever got it made. Then I became the hottest pilot writer at Universal. I was writing two or three pilots a season. I was making $400,000 a year in pilot fees. <laughs> Canel went on to create Chase, Beretta, and Baba Black Sheep, along with like fifty other pilots. People I, hated having meetings with him because of his voice. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm <great>. sure. <laughs> Baba Black Sheep was great. Do you remember that? No, I never. I never saw that. Oh, it was great. It was Robert Conrad, and and they were like this World War II fighting squadron. Oh, really? And uh, <laughs> but yeah, a lot of the same guys. 
Wow. wow. You know? All these guys stuck together. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. We'll get to it, but even like when they brought the movies back, like a bunch of crew members and yeah, cast members yeah. came back. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. They were very tight-knit. People were loyal back then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so after he created Rockford Files, just to jump ahead a little bit with uh, um, with Stephen J. Cannell, just because he had a long career. Upon leaving Universal, he created his own production company where he created shows like... Ten Spreed and Brown Shoe with Ben Vereen and... Um, yes, Jeff, ooh, Goldblum, yeah, mm, uh, very young, very young and sexy, skinny, mm, yes. Uh, he also did <laughs> The Greatest American Hero, which is one of the greatest television series. Oh, yeah. About yeah. a guy who finds a super suit with no instructions. The and Robert Culp is the FBI guy that Unexpected hero, oh, yeah. So good, so good, so good. Can't wait to do the show on that. Have a really funny story about William Catt. Uh, the A-Team, oh, yeah. With the B. Barakas and Face and Hannibal and yeah, yes. the other guy. Those are the people. And then the Hardcastle A-team. and McCormick. Ooh, it's a great show with uh, the guy that played uh, on Family Affair. He was the uncle, and then the guy. And then there was Riptide with those guys on a boat. And then there was 21 Jump Street with a sexy young guy named Johnny Depp that we all know and love. And then there was Hunter with an ex-football player who, uh, I forget his name too, but he was tough and <laughs> rumble tough. Hunter brought back uh, Roy Huggins. Uh, Stephen J. Canal said of Huggins... Roy was in the driver's seat where he belonged. Nobody does it better or with more style. Roy Huggins is my godfather, my hero, and my friend. They don't come any better. Stephen J. Cannell created or co-created nearly 40 television series, mostly crime dramas. In the process, he had, by his own count, scripted more than 450 episodes and produced or executive produced over 1,500 episodes of TV. That is an accomplishment that is insane. Four hundred and fifty episodes written. That is of an hour long. Crazy. And these yeah. were when yeah. hour longs were like fifty, 50 minutes. minutes. Yeah, forty nine yeah. to fifty minutes. It you know? is crazy. It's a lot of work, man. That's a lot of work, and that's week to week work, man. That's like <laughs> you know, you're jumping through hoops. Yeah, there yeah, weren't delays yeah. back then. There weren't. No, no, you, production. You had you got it, got done, it done, or you got yeah. fired. Uh, in the series storyline, Jim Rockford had served time in California San Quentin prison in the 1960s due to a wrongful conviction. Now, I gotta ask, was he a cop? No. He wasn't a cop? No. So how does he know Becker? From being an ex-con? This is weird. I don't know. I mean, they never really explored that. Because I, we know Angel because he was in prison Sure. Angel. Yeah, we know Rocky because silly. he's his dad. Yeah. We know Beth because she was his lawyer, but... I don't know if they ever explored it. I, I Granted, I haven't seen the last couple seasons, so like I don't know if they ever explored the relationship between Becker. I know eventually Becker gets promoted and he gets much higher, but yeah. I mean, they might have... Well, they, he, they bring in the first season, he becomes lieutenant. He becomes sergeant. He passes the lieutenant's exam. In the first season? I believe so, oh, yeah. I think it was later. Really? I think it was later. I don't know. I've been jumping around. But I just... Yeah, that's the one... Because I always thought that he used to be a cop, and that's why the cops can't stand him, because they thought he was a dirty cop. But no, I also know that no. the cops can't stand him because he closes all the cases that they couldn't close. Yeah, they so were. They didn't jails. like him because he because they. Oh, wait, but that was established in the TV movie that Becker was trying to keep these cases open, and then yeah. his superiors just kept telling him no. Like you don't have anything. Toss him. After five years in prison, he was pardoned, not paroled. The distinction frequently mentioned in plot points. Uh, his infrequent jobs as a private investigator barely allow him to maintain his dilapidated mobile home, which doubles as his office in a parking lot on a beach in Malibu, California. Rockford wears low-budget off-the-rack casual clothing and does his best to avoid physical altercations, although he is more than able to hold his own in a fistfight. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> he. Well, the one thing about him that I do like that's different than Magnum and stuff is, like, Magnum is always broke, never really gets paid. And he, yeah. and 
you know, Rockford gets screwed out of a lot of money too. But he also gets his bonuses. Like, ah, he yeah. got his two grand bonus from this thing. And yeah. so he does get paid. And he also, it, it's so funny because he's very adamant about charging $250 a day plus expenses. $200. Plus $200 a day. Plus expenses. Plus expenses. Got to put them expenses in there. I didn't charge you for my new pajamas I got. <laughs> I didn't charge you for the toothpaste. But that's a lot of money back then. It was. It, in in uh, 2019 dollars, the last uh, data that I have, it was $1,050 a day. But he got results, and he that was the one thing. He, he did. was very confident when he did. He, he solved he, cases. I, he wouldn't take a case unless he knew he could solve it. And he wouldn't take a case, well, at least at the beginning, wouldn't take a case yeah. if it was open. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing about all these guys, like him and Magnum is, is, and yeah. Columbo. They may be failed human beings, or they may be, <laughs> you know, extremely flawed. Yeah. But they're very good at what they do, and they're also confident in what they do. They don't, yeah. like, there's no false modesty about right. their skills as investigators. It's like, yeah, I'm going to solve oh, this Oh, no, they, they, they know. Yeah, yeah. They know when, when, when something triggers that little piece of the brain that's yeah. like, no, that's not right, then they're going to dive and dive and dive into it. And, and also, they, they get it done. Uh, you know, Becker, he doesn't make fun of his investigative prowess. He makes fun of him as a person, his clothes, yeah. his, yeah. you know, him being a scumbag, whatever it is, him yeah. using his phone, him taking advantage. But he respects it's, him as an investigator. Sure, of course, of course. Uh, he rarely carries his Colt Detective Special Revolver, for which he has no permit, and prefers to talk his way out of trouble. Keeps it in the cookie jar. In the cookie jar. You know, there's an episode where it gets stolen from the cookie jar and planted uh, in a homicide, I actually, freeing him. I, f- I feel like I saw that episode long before we ever talked about this. <laughs> he works on cold cases, missing persons investigations, and low-budget insurance scams, and repeatedly states that he does not handle open cases to avoid trouble with the police. Yeah. There was a great episode with uh, 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 Tom Selleck playing uh, Lance White, another <laughs> private investigator, but it was one of his like third or fourth episodes that he was on, and, and he has a very good relationship with the cops, but he was in, essentially under this non-disclosure agreement, and he tells the cop, I'm going to tell you this stuff, but you can't tell anybody. Right. And, and Rockford's over there like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he's just like, well, I'm going to tell you this. And Well, yes, Lance. Uh, Tom Selleck went on to become Magnum yes, P.I. Yes, yes. Uh, he was on several episodes. They were going to do a pilot. Actually, the Magnum pilot was his Lance White character. Yeah. And people just didn't like it. They didn't want another James Bond. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think they filmed it, and it was just like, nope. And then Selleck was like, well, what if we did this? And yeah. so, you know, and turned it into Magnum. It's just a testimony to how great Tom Selleck is and how likable and watchable that, you know, they got his own series. And even though the yeah. pilot didn't work, they were like, well, we're yeah. going to make it work. Well, and, and James Garner was very much that way, too. Like, he, I mean, I could sit here and watch him read the phone book. Yeah. Like, he's just, there's something magnetic about him that you're yeah. just like, I have to watch this. Well, he's just so natural. What he does yeah. is natural. It's like watching a dude. He reacts. Yeah, yeah. He reacts naturally. He's not a superhero. He's a pudgy, middle-aged war guy who's a little beat up and rough around the edges. Yeah. You know? Can... He's, he's had a bad hand dealt to him his entire life. There's a few things I've noticed watching this show. A, guys just left their coats. <laughs> he's like, ah, it's hot in here. He takes his coat off and just leaves it. And then they leave. And then he's just like, what, what, are you made of coats? You got so many coats, you can just leave your coats? so broke all the time. He has to take a new coat every day. <laughs> it takes a very gentle wrap to the head to knock you out. Oh, yeah, yeah. It takes an even gentler hit car wreck to knock you out. Your head usually hits the <laughs> steering wheel and it'll knock you uh, out. 
I mean, that's that, that's not entirely untrue. I, you could uh, have like a whole. I could buy you lunch, and me lunch, and it would cost me about eighty cents. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. A couple hot dogs yeah. at the hot dog stand. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's so crazy. That's one thing too that I love about watching the show. And anybody, <laughs> anybody who likes LA or lives in LA, this show is a really great time capsule. Oh of yeah. What? Yeah. The Valley and downtown. Oh, so much looked at like in the in the seventies. So great. So great. All right, let's take a quick break. We're gonna talk about the production. Like Zoinks, man. It's Shaggy. And Ruby Roo. And like when we're cruising around in the mystery machine, man, we're like always listening to the Gen X Files. <laughs> now on Spotify. New episodes every Friday. All celebrity voices are poorly impersonated. Production. All right, so the cast, obviously James Garner as James Rockford. Uh, we're not. Eventually, we're going to do a Garner episode because he was fascinating. Oh yeah, and and had an amazing life. Uh, so we're not going to go too deep into him, but I will just say that James Garner was as close to the character yeah. as you could get without actually being the character. Yeah, he he was a sweet guy, kind of grumpy, no nonsense, didn't take guff. Yeah, and uh, smoked cigarettes, drank whiskey. He was a Korean War vet. Yeah, much like Rockford. Uh, James Garner was the first person drafted from Oklahoma in in the Korean War. Nice uh, from Oklahoma. I don't think he was the first person drafted ever, but like I, he he had two Purple Hearts. Like yeah. he he was an amazing human being. Well, back then, every you know all those guys were war heroes. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. Jimmy Stewart, all oh, these yeah. guys that grew. You know, they were either in World War Two or Korea. You know, these guys were. It was a different. Breed, you know the reason why these guys are such good a- animals. I was gonna say. <laughs> the reason why these guys were such great actors is because they've been through some stuff. Man. Yeah, well, yeah, they've seen you it. Know? They lived it. I mean, it's like they lived a life beyond just being a pampered actor. You yeah, know? you they don't have to. to war. You don't have to pretend what you know death is like. It was there. No, no, yeah. and he, yeah, James Garner was a very loyal guy. Like you know, we're gonna get into Stuart Margolin, but he, they, those guys worked together. For, yeah. For, Decades. decades, yeah, you know, buddies, and yeah. you seen with like Isaac Hayes was a good friend of his, and he kept bringing him back on the show. <laughs> yeah. And I got to say this, man, the only other character that I know of named Gandalf <laughs> was Isaac Hayes in Rockford yeah. Files, known yeah. as Gandy. They called Gandy. him Gandy, but his name was <laughs> Gandalf. Gandalf Hayes, <laughs> his, and his name was Isaac right. Hayes. Right. So it's weird that James Garner was Jim Rockford and. Isaac right. Hayes was Gandalf Hayes. They didn't have a lot of like name uh, creativity. No, they didn't. In the they writer's didn't. room. Uh, Noah Beery Jr. was Rocky, Rockford's retired father. Uh, <sighs> he came from a long line of actually pretty good actors. Like his uncle won an Oscar yeah. in, the, in the 30s. His father was an established actor. Oh, my like, God. He, yeah. He Barry, had been around. Yeah. Barry had been around, too. A great, you know, a lot of Westerns you'll see oh, Noah yeah, Barry show yeah. up. And such a great, I want to know Barry to be my dad. Think about Rocky. Rocky was a truck driver. <laughs> when he always believed his son was innocent, sold his truck, lost his business, lost almost everything, getting his son out of jail. Yeah. Always so yeah. worried. Sonny, 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 what you doing, Sonny? What you going? Why are you going out there, Sonny? Why are you staying here <laughs> with me? Why you got to be all crazy? And he's always like. Why don't, why don't you just be a truck driver? Why don't, we'll just get a rig. And, you know, he just wants, he's so worried about his. Of course. About Sonny Boy. Well, he had to take care of him. Yeah. Who else was going to take care of him? Well, you know, I mean, Rocky, 
Rockford, James Rockford, was taking care of Rocky. Oh, of course, of course. I just love, his dad. Yeah. I just love that Noah Berry's nickname was Pidge. Yeah. Good old Pidge. That shows you what a cutie pie he was. He his was. name was Pidge. <laughs> he was the sweetest. He was just a really sweet guy. He was. Uh, Joe Santos as Sergeant Dennis Becker, uh, Rockford from the LAPD. They helped him run prints and license plates and stuff. Such a wrongly named person. Yeah. He does not look like a Dennis Becker. Dennis Becker. Yeah, I know. I know. Joe Santos. It's very odd. Yeah, it's very odd. And he's just, he's very Italian, I yeah, think. He, I, he looks very Italian. Joe Santos. <laughs> I mean, he's yeah. like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Stuart Margolin is Evelyn Angel Martin. Dimi. He's Dimi. a former prison friend. Dimi. Angel Dimi. is untrustworthy, pathologically lying, con artist who schemes constantly get Jim in trouble, yet Jim remains his friend. Jimmy, 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 listen to me, Jimmy. You gotta help me, Jimmy. They're gonna kill me, Jimmy. You gotta give me, you gotta give me, did, did you do it? Give me, Jimmy. Did you do it? That's my favorite in the beginning. <laughs> did you do it? He's, uh, he's, <laughs> Angel is always, Angel is one of the best characters on TV because he always shows up like there's an episode where his sister marries like the DA and he's just exploiting it like nobody's ever oh, exploited yeah, anything yeah. he's like a trump child on steroids the way he <laughs> exploits it you know he comes into money he's just such an opportunist when we first meet him he's like he's he's got a cigarette dangling and he's working at the newspaper because his i guess oh, his, yeah. his, his sister he's must so got married good. a lot or he had a lot of sisters because it was always <laughs> his brother-in-law his new brother-in-law but he was like jimmy jimmy and uh he's like uh yeah i did it jimmy I rubbed yeah, that bank. Yeah, because he like, just oh, wants he, to I know. Thought you were yeah. innocent. He's like, no, Jimmy, I did it. <laughs> and he's like, okay, okay. And he's like, did you do it, Jimmy? He's like, no, I didn't do it. I, I was pardoned. Yeah, okay, you pardoned. Did you do it? Did you do it, Jimmy? <laughs> no, I didn't. Well, I didn't do it either. It's like, yeah, well, it's like, you can't take it back. <laughs> you already said you did. He was just so, so great. He also directed a lot of the episodes. Yeah, yeah. And he, I mean, he directed a ton of TV. Yeah. Uh, he, he was a very good creative artist. Oh, yeah. and just one of those character actors that just has so much going on and is so watchable. Yeah. And just so good at being annoying. Like one of those <laughs> guys that is just so perfect being annoying. But he uh, he ended up directing, uh, he directed all of the TV movies that they came back for. Yeah. For uh, Rockford Files. He directed James Garner in, oh, there was like an HBO movie. The Glitter Dome. He directed The Glitter Dome with John Lithgow and and uh, he, and uh, and David Chase brought him on to direct uh, episodes of Northern Exposure. Oh yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But every '70s show he did. Love yeah, Bo, yeah. He was around. Yeah, yeah. Magnum, and he was on all those shows too. Yeah, he's just like that guy was so. Prolific. Oh, he was everywhere. Yeah, and he's still working today. Like he was on the new uh, X Files reboot as Doctor V. Oh yeah, yeah. And he just had a movie come out in 2019, so hopefully nice. he's still going strong. That guy is just, you know, a big theater guy, just one of the, like, under the radar, a guy that you know that's just yeah. been constantly working for 60 years. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. And, and just under the, just such a good actor. I, I We need to do, like, an unsung hero show about all these guys that have just been flipping around for like the last 50 years doing amazing right, work. Right. And everybody's like, yeah, I know that guy. <laughs> Gretchen Corbett as Elizabeth Beth Davenport, Jim's lawyer and sometime girlfriend. Yeah, oh, Beth, little uh, Beth. She was uh, fired from the show after season four due to contract disputes with Universal and uh, uh, Garner's production company, Cherokee Productions. Nah, that's a bummer. 
Yeah, and she was replaced by some dude. I I mean, a different lawyer character came on. Who he guy. wasn't sometimes involved uh, with. He was not involved with, no. Other notable guest stars, Dennis Dugan played Richie Brockelman. Yeah, uh, that was another backdoor pilot, Richie Brockelman. Yeah, which only, I think, had five episodes, maybe. And but uh, rightly so. Did not really do well. Richie, this is the problem with a lot of these spinoff shows is these guys were great with Garner. Yeah. But then you give them their own thing, and it's like, yeah. Richie Brockman didn't have legs, man. The no, guy no. was just kind of, he was not engaging. It was not, it wasn't something, he wasn't interesting enough. No. <laughs> it's, no. It, it's, he was great guest star. He yeah. was a great supporting character. Yes. Should not have had his own show. No, not at all. <laughs> uh, Isaac Hayes and Lou Gossett Jr., we talked about before, yeah. also had their own. G- Gabby and Gandy. Gab- Gabby and Gandy or Gandy and Gabby? Gandy I don't know. Which is really funny because that was another backdoor pilot right. where uh, Gandalf, he's such a complex character. Gandalf Hayes, is he's a guy that uh, Rockford knew in prison, and he was in prison for murdering his girlfriend. And he was the guy that all the new fish, they would put him in with Gandy for a week when they first got to prison, <laughs> and then they'd never want to be back with Gandy again. That's how they kept him in line. And he was in prison for 20 years for killing his girlfriend. So he gets out of prison. He's all along saying, I didn't do it, Rockfish. Called Rockford Rockfish. Rockfish. I didn't do it, Rockfish. So he gets out of prison and wants Rockfish to help him clear his name. So he, uh, he and Rockford you know, do the whole investigation and investigate the whole thing. They find out that, that her best friend had been holding on to this letter all this time that his girlfriend wrote explaining that she had killed herself because she couldn't get out of the relationship with Gandalf because he was beating her. Oh. And he was beating her. So he's still an asshole. Still. And this is what's great. So he listens to that. And all through the episode, he's just this really, think of like Mr. T without any sort of like decorum or restraint uh, from the 18th. Not the man. Right, right. The character. He's just this, there's this pure punch kind of, you know, I'll get really mad, I'm going to punch you. Period. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he gets real quiet. He walks outside. There's this look on his face. And old Jim Rockford comes out and sits down next to him. And he's like, well, Gandy, what do you, you know, you're clear. She, she you know, it was suicide. And he's like, Rockfish, she killed herself because of me. And he has this realization and he's crying. Oh. And he's like, she did it because of me. And there's, and... And then Rockford's like, yeah, well, you know, she made the choice to do it. Blah. She could have always gotten away from me, but she always came back. She, which is weird. I get Rockford's trying to help his friend. Uh, yeah, a little, yeah. Little, little, you know, a little on the edge. <laughs> but it was, it's, it, it's a testament to these complex characters yeah. that this guy did, you know, because he was always like, I never hurt her. I never hurt her as much as she hurt me. You know, but it's like yeah. he realized that he trapped her to the point, you know, and this character of Gandalf Hayes yeah. keeps coming back and, and having growth and becoming yeah, yeah. even more of a character and it's just that's what's great they, these 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 unredeemable redeemable characters that they had on the show is what was really great about it it's yeah. it was the TV this the TV version of the 70s underbelly yeah you yeah know, as, as totally. much as you could get yeah yeah uh, yeah, it's interesting to see, especially in the, the mid-late 70s, of a character realizing their toxic masculinity <laughs> yes. and then trying to get over it yeah. and, like, trying to be a better person. Well, he's like, still, he's... like, you know, when, when he comes back and uh, and Rockford uh, get, he tries to get him a job with uh, Gabby. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and they set up the pilot with that. He's still a fisties guy. 
Of course, he's still a big bruiser. I mean, but that's going to happen. He's a little bit less. Punch first, ask questions later. Oh, there's a great scene in that episode where they go, they're like, we're going to go into this bar. And we're, he's in, uh, uh, Louis Gossett Jr. is like, look, let me do all the talking. Because, you know, he's a smooth talk Gabby. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. called Gabby for a reason because he's yeah. smooth talk. talker. Yeah. He knows lots of facts. He can talk real fast. So he's like, fine. And they get in, and it's a Nazi bar, like full on oh, swastikas everywhere. These guys are dressed <laughs> in the brown shirts. They're Nazis. Wow. And then Isaac Hayes is like, still want to do the talking? You know, and then they end up blah, blah, blah. And finally, they beat the crap out of all of them, <laughs> shoot Hitler's picture with a shotgun. It's very satisfying. <laughs> but it's really cool the way. And then, and then at the end, which is so funny, is Louis Gossett Jr. holds court and explains to them why the, uh, the, how Nazism Being doesn't Nazi work in America yeah. and how other different philosophies of socialism, Marxism, whatever, it's just really funny the way. It was a. It was an interesting pilot. It was. A, yeah. it, but it was just a show again. Yeah, it it, it ended was hard up just, to sustain. Yeah, but it, it ended up just being a, an episode. I mean, it never really went anywhere. Um, much like the the others. I mean, they just didn't. Really, but but they always brought the characters back. Oh yeah. Regardless, they always brought the characters back. Some other notable guest stars: Ed Harris, James Woods, Lindsay Wagner, Rob Weiner, Robert Lucia. I'm Robert Lucia. Suzanne Summers, James Cromwell, Jamie Cromwell, Bill Mummy. Otherwise known as Billy Mummy yeah. from Lost in Space, Abe Vigoda, Fish, uh, Joseph Cotton, Ned Beatty, Dion Warwick, Rita Moreno, Leif Erickson, Lauren Bacall. I just watched the Dion Warwick one. God bless yeah. it. She has an amazing voice. Oh, yeah, yeah. And this is a very s- a small list of, of the cast uh, because there was a lot more. They always pulled in film stars to come oh, yeah. in. And, and it was actually one of the reasons that the show, uh, part of the reason the show ended up getting canceled because the show became very expensive because they hired a lot of film stars and paid them like they were doing a film. And they shot on location. Yeah. And, I mean, it was a... The cost of the show shot up dramatically as the show went it's on. It's a mini movie, you yeah. know? And there's yeah. a lot of two-parters that were basically movies. Which the irony now is that I looked up... Uh, we we were just we we're been watching Hawkeye, and I just looked up the uh, cost for Hawkeye. Uh, six episodes, one hundred and fifty million dollars they spent on that. Wow. Twenty-five million dollars an episode. Good <laughs> gravy, man. <laughs> so really, and Rockford was, was a deal. What was Rockford going? It, it, I I don't know any numbers on it. I would say probably was, half a million an episode. Maybe. Uh, yeah, they, you know? they claimed it by the end. The studio claimed that they were losing. A couple hundred thousand dollars on every episode. They're lying. They lied. Yeah. It's baloney. It's just they didn't have as much control over the show as they wanted because yeah. of his production company. The 70s was the beginning of the corporate takeover of Hollywood, where it was the beginning of like agents and studios really flexing yes. their muscles yes. and and trying to corral all these actors and their production well, companies. I mean, and, you know, the was... contracts had stopped. Like, they yeah. had they had control of the contracts, yeah. and then that all kind of went out the window, and, and they were like, well, what are we going to do to control these people? Yeah, because and... it, it, you're exactly right. The, the, the studio system, they used to have a contract system, like uh, Harrison Ford and uh, Clint Eastwood. All these guys were under contract by different studios yeah. where they would pay them $500 a week, and then yeah. be go... Go be in this wrestling movie. Go be in this movie. And it was like they would get the money, and they they would get extra money for being in the movie. Yeah. But they had a stable of actors that they paid very low to to retain them. Right. And control them. Yes. And then once that ended, this is the turbulent period where they're like, well, how do we control them? Right. What do we do? You know, because... James Garner was a huge star with a lot of power. Yes. He was yes. not just a... And he knew this. Yes. He was yeah. a huge TV star, a huge film star. He was one of those unicorns that did both yeah. huge films and huge television. Yes. And radio. But uh, 
and animation and, voiceover. and commercials like yes yes the kodak was, commercial he had oh my with, god what's he her name did that for like 15 years everybody thought they were married, married yeah, yeah you know it was like this the, the uh, meredith baxter burning no it that? wasn't meredith it was, baxter burning i don't was, remember her name but it was yeah but they just had this amazing chemistry anyway he was so beloved and so you know he was one of these guys that it's like they kind of had to not necessarily make an example of him but turn off the spigot because yeah, they didn't yeah. want to have a bunch of like production you know okay right. well everybody's gonna you know want all of this profit sharing and you know it was yeah it's, yeah. it's scummy it's scummy. It is, it's i mean it's yeah it's very corporate uh the show's pilot was written by stephen j cannell who also wrote 36 episodes juanita bartlett one of the show's producers and garner's partner at cherokee productions wrote 34 episodes david chase wrote 16 episodes he later went on to create northern exposure and the sopranos he was also a producer on rockford for many years for yes many seasons. he he yeah he he definitely uh cut his teeth on Rockford Files. You can see his rumblings because his episodes are pretty dark. Yeah. There is one episode oh, yeah. where like the police chief's wife gets beaten to death and put in a Jeez. trunk. And the, and the officer's like, man, this car stinks. And, then, <laughs> <laughs> and they open the trunk and he's like, ah, it's, it's the chief's wife. Oh, boy. And then Becker <laughs> gets the case, unwinnable case, because he's got to yeah. go like, well, what do you do? Yeah. You know, and so he gets Rockford. Anyway. Yeah, God, I love that show. But uh, still, it's like his—he had some pretty gritty. Yeah, yeah, you know, he did. He did. He did a lot of organized crime stuff in the show. Uh, lot, you didn't realize how big the mob was apparently <laughs> in Los Angeles in the seventies because uh, it was huge. all mob. Baby. Huge. Uh, Roy Huggins wrote for the show during the first season, always using the pen name John Thomas James, which was the name of his three children. Uh, He only wrote under that name because he became an executive and he didn't want people to think that he had, you know, whatever. I I get it. Yeah. You know, he doesn't want to think that he's pushing his own agenda. Yeah. Uh, Huggins' contributions to the show ended midway through the first season after he submitted a script rewrite direct to set as the episode was shooting without getting approval from any other writer or producer. Garner, trying to work with material on set, felt the rewrite was unsatisfactory and could not figure out why it had been approved for shooting. When he discovered that neither Cannell nor any of the other production staff members knew anything about the rewrite, Garner issued a directive that Cannell, not Huggins, had final say in all script material. Because yeah. he was that powerful, he could do that. And that's smart, because he's like, this is not, it's just not sustainable, and yeah. it's a waste of everybody's time. Yeah. Because it's like, look, if you, you're going to throw your mediocre work through, right. we're going to have to stop production and fix it anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. no, you're not the right guy. Another reason why Garner was so successful is he knew who to put yes. where. He yes. knew, look, he directed one episode of Rockford Files only because he had, he had to. to. Because he, the director just didn't show up. <laughs> exactly. And he did fine, but he didn't yeah. want to be a director. No, no. That wasn't his... That was he, not his thing. He knew he wasn't as good as the other directors. Right. So he found... That's why he's so loyal. You find these guys that you work well with and that you trust, which is a... Oh, my God. Yeah, I can't tell you how. Yeah. yeah. Even yeah. on the small, teeny little levels, you yeah. know, it, trust is so rare in this. People that you can trust. So it's just, you know, it's a testimony to, you know, not only a great actor, but a great businessman in terms of knowing who needs to do what and where. Yeah, yeah. Huggins was credited as producer for the entire run of the series, but it effectively ended his creative involvement with the show as he submitted no further material to the Rockford Files and did not involve himself in the day-to-day running of the series. No big loss. Yeah. I mean, Huggins is a great writer. but Yes, but I'm just saying... But TV production is a process. Yeah. And there's a reason that people check your work. Yes. I'm just... I'd say no big loss because the 
quality didn't suffer no, after the first no, it did not because of that. I mean, uh, sure, the guy's a great writer, but Cannell, the stories were always by Huggins, and Cannell wrote the teleplays. So, like, it was always the words of Stephen J. Cannell, and he was, I, I really believe he was the real genius behind the show. Oh, Stephen Gay, Stephen Gay, <laughs> <laughs> Stephen J. Cannell is arguably the best dr- dramatic television producer writer yeah. creator of I, all time. I would agree. You know, you look at you look at Norman Lear for comedies, you look at Cannell for crime. Yeah. yeah. It's just the guy knows he was his just stuff. Brilliant. He was brilliant. Genius. Yeah. He was brilliant. Uh, he actually directed a couple episodes himself. Uh, other frequent directors include William Wyard, uh, he did 23 episodes Lawrence Doheny, Ivan Dixon, Ooh, from Hogan's Heroes. From Hogan's Heroes. An actor on Hogan's Heroes. They're all very experienced TV directors. All of them together had had directed almost like 500 episodes yeah. of TV stuff. I mean, so they 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 knew they brought in people that knew what they were doing. So many TV directors are ex TV actors. Yeah. And okay. they're usually like this a lot of times the smaller actors because they spent so much time watching what was going on yeah, that yeah. they they just kind of absorbed it. Yeah. They learned it by osmosis. Easy, easy peasy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, veteran, veteran actor James Coburn directed an episode who had starred with Garner in a couple of movies like The Great Escape and The Americanization of Emily. He was also in the reboot of Maverick. Oh, yes, he uh, was. With, uh, uh, he was great. Yeah, with... I got to tell you real quick. A friend of mine worked on that. My mom is a huge James Garner fan. Like, yeah. that's her celebrity crush. Oh, and, yeah. uh and I was able for one Christmas to get an auto- a personalized autographed picture from Mr. Garner. Nice. For nice. my mother. And, ah, oh, man, it blew her away. Stepdad, super jelly. Because uh, <laughs> she loved the picture so much. Oh, yeah. So let's talk about Rockford's car. His Pontiac Firebird Esprit. Oh, yeah. Ah. Starting with the 1974 model year Rockford, we get a new model year Pontiac Firebird each year throughout the series. The Firebirds use an identical copper mist color with the Esprit's exterior and interior. Yeah, very classy. Mm. Uh, Although the Firebirds were badged as Esprit's, they were actually the higher-performance formula models without the twin scoop hood. Well, yeah, because the the low-end Esprit model's engine was like a a hamster with a... (laughs) Everyone would know yeah, with a rubber band. Yeah, no way it would keep up with any car no. in a car chase. And plus, all these cars in the car chases are these '60s muscle cars, oh, man. Yeah. They're like, yeah. burr, burr, burr. or they're the giant boat Cadillacs, yes, which <laughs> also have like five thousand horsepower under those. They have to because they yes. weigh twenty thousand pounds. Oh man, that's. And you know what, man? No matter where you were, it didn't matter if you were on grass or asphalt or in the air. Them tires would screech. Oh, yeah. yeah. Peel out and oh, screech yeah, on anything. Yeah. Uh, one, screech City. <laughs> one off-recurring element of the show was the famous Jim Rockford turnaround, also known as a J-turn or a moonshiner's turn, yeah. commonly employed as an evasive driving technique talk to, taught to Secret Service. Oh, man, the J-turn's so much fun. It's great. He did it all the time. Uh, and every, almost every car he drove in that, he did that. Yeah. Uh, in the first TV movie, I Still Love L.A. in 1994, the Firebird is shown in ramshackle disrepair parked next to Rockford's trailer. He mentions he plans to have it fixed up, but drives other cars throughout the films. Uh, the film's theme song, titled The Rockford Files, was written by noted theme music composers Mike Post and Pete Carpenter. Mike Post wrote just about every yes. single theme to every single action <laughs> series from 1974 to 1990. I am, yes, it was it was crazy. It appears at the beginning and ending of each episode with different arrangements. Uh, the theme song was actually released as a single and spent two weeks at number 10 on the Billboard Hot 100 oh, in so August good. 1975. But the single remained on the chart for 16 weeks and... Won a 1975 Grammy Award for Best Instrumental Arrangement. As it should. It's, I don't really, I don't always skip... 
the title. I like. No, to hear I it. watch it every time. It. It's great, oh, and the is. opening is so fantastic yeah. with all the pictures. And the, yeah. Uh, funny little side note: for more than forty years, the British football team Tranmere Rovers have used the Rockford theme as a walkout music for most games. Occasionally, it gets dropped, and then the audience demands they bring it back. It's now my favorite football team. And uh, although Ben Folds Five is now defunct, they always used it as the last song after they got off stage. They would play the Rockford Files. Nice. It's yeah. just Ben Folds one now. Uh, now Sad. it's yeah, just <laughs> Ben Folds. He's just folding himself. Underline. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so the Rockford Files ran for 123 episodes. Garner was nominated for five Emmys during the run of the show. He won in 1977. Uh, the show went into hiatus late in 1979 when Garner was told by his doctors to take time off because his numerous knee injuries and back trouble, as well as an ulcer. That guy gave his entire a, body to that A show. bleeding ulcer that required emergency surgery. Yes. It was insane. Yeah, that's from stress, yes. whiskey, and cigarettes. And his knees had to be... Re- this guy was doing his own stunts. He did all his, his own 50s, stunts. In his 50s, man. He yeah. would do the, the punching, the fighting, the falling, the driving. Man, I just watched an episode where he, he drove a car. He was getting kidnapped by a guy, and he drove the car off of a cliff, or like an embankment. And, and I was like, they just show the car go down. I was like, oh. And then all of a sudden, the camera pans back up, and he's just sliding on his stomach down. I was like, that looks so painful. Yeah. No, he gave it all, man. There was he nothing holding slid back. slid for like 25 seconds. I was just like, wow, that just keeps going. No, he, he, was, a, he was a trooper. Man. Well, he was, he was one of those guys. It was his show. Yeah. He, it's my he, face. Yeah. He had to do it. I'm not letting a stunt guy. I'm not going to give the audience that BS, yeah. man. I'm not going to give him the whole Star Trek Oh, there's Captain Kirk, and then we cut, and then there's like a guy with black hair, you know, <laughs> with a really bad wig. <laughs> yeah, and he's you can like see three his times real his hair yeah, sticking exactly. out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you, oh man, yeah. he wanted quality, and he, and he literally gave his body to that he did. show because then, of the toll on his body. Garner was ordered by his doctor to immediately take time off some months later, and NBC abruptly canceled the program in mid-season. Oh, they were looking so looking for an excuse. Yeah, and it's. Yeah. It's not because of the reason why they say, which is losing money, because it wasn't. It was also one of the most popular shows I, on TV. They did whatever he eventually, and I'll get to this, they eventually called creative accounting. Uh, but they they just wanted it, an excuse. Uh, according to sources, NBC Universal claimed the show was generating a deficit of several million dollars, not thousands, like yeah, I thought. Boy. A staggering amount for a nighttime show at the time, although Garner's production team, Cherokee Productions, claimed the show turned a profit. Garner told a story to Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show that the studio once paid a carpenter $700 to build a shipping crate for a shootout on a boat dock, although there were shipping crates already on the boat dock. They spent money for no reason yeah. and then claimed that somehow it was his production company's fault. You know why they did that? Because one of the executive's brother-in-law was the yeah. construction yeah. guy and he, he needed, needed money. Yeah. to work, you know, or the union. It's just... It's dumb. It's, again, I really think it, it was just setting a message they yes exactly they needed to say because much like Roy Huggins James Garner was all about creative control oh, yeah. and they hated that exactly that's why they that's why the quality never faltered yes. on Rockford because no. he made sure that that show from beginning to end it was always up to his standards yeah and, and his standards were really were high. high yeah, yeah. In July 1983, Garner filed suit against Universal Studios for $16.5 million in connection with his ongoing dispute from the Rockford Files. The suit charged Universal with breach of contract, failure to deal in good faith and fairly, and fraud and deceit. Garner alleged that Universal was creatively accounting two words that are now part of the Hollywood lexicon. Quotes, but 
you know, around yeah, those words. Quotes. Yeah, creative accounting. But that, that was the first time it was used. Yes. And, and, and it was true. The suit was eventually settled out of court in 1989. As part of the agreement, Garner could not disclose the amount of the settlement, but uh, James Garner's wife has said repeatedly that for a long time he could not wipe the silly grin off his face. Oh, yeah, I'm so sure it was at least 10. got a lot of money from it. Yeah, and rightly so, man. Yeah. He made I a mean, lot of money for he that. Was, he made money for them, yes. At the end of the day, it was a huge hit for NBC. It won awards. It was... It was extremely huge. popular. Yeah. I mean, they to the point where they tried to have three spinoffs. You know yeah. I mean? Like, they, they wouldn't do that if there wasn't money involved. No. <laughs> uh, the conflict, unfortunately, meant that the Rockford character would not reemerge until 1994. So eight Rockford Files reunion TV movies were made between 94 and 99, airing on the CBS network instead of NBC. Nice. All uh, directed by Angels. Stuart Angel, yep, Margolin. Stuart Margolin. They reunited most of the cast from the original show. Uh, Barry died on November 1st, 1994, no. unfortunately. So the first of these films, which aired later that month, stated, This picture is dedicated to the memory of Noah Barry Jr. We love you and miss you, Pidge. Yeah. The movie's... Pidge was his nickname. nickname. Yeah, his nickname. The movie's picked Which up... Which I love. Yeah. Pidge. It's, it's just, it just shows that he was a lovable guy. Uh, what grown man's going to let you call Pidge. him Pidge unless he's just <laughs> the sweetest bucket of sugar goo? <laughs> the movie's picked up nearly 15 years later. Uh, they didn't try to, you know, make it look like he was 15 years younger. <laughs> Did they still I mean, have him date 20-year-olds? Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, in the initial movies, Rocky is referenced as alive but is off screen. He dies within the series continuity sometime before the third movie. Uh, Garner stated that 22 crew members came out of retirement to work on these TV movies. Nice. Like, people that had retired, they were like, yeah. okay, we're done, but no, we're going to come back and help you. Because it's a reunion. Why would you not? Yeah. Uh, Garner was nominated for three SAG awards for the shows, the TV movies during this period, although he never won. Uh, and I just got to, yeah. before we get to the end, yeah. just going to point out a couple of little things. Yes. One, Garner, uh, in the, is it the pilot episode with Lindsay Wagner? Yes. Yeah. They, from the beginning, made him <laughs> a cad. Yeah. He was like what when he was shooting that? Well, movie? he was born in 28, so he would have been like 45 or 46. Okay. And she was like 20. Two. If even 20. Yeah. I so mean, she gorgeous, was, by the way. Yeah. Oh, my God. So pretty. Still gorgeous. If you don't know who Lindsay Wagner is, she was in Death Stranding uh, as the mother of uh, the main character, uh, Norman Reedus. Yeah. Um, she's also the bionic woman. That one, I think, is what I'm just saying for younger know. people. But yes. Yes. You know. She was, but she was the bionic one. That was what I had. Because I was like, Lindsay Wagner sounds familiar. And I was yeah. like, oh, it's a bionic oh, woman. God. I had such a crush on her. And and still she still do. I he mean, was a dirty fighter. One of the greatest oh, things yeah. is, uh, I just point this out real quick. Uh, there's this guy, oh my God. And I think it's the same episode, the Lindsay Wagner episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This bad guy is just this roided out, oh my God. Like rapey, awful, crazy, crazy martial dude. arts yeah, guy. He's yeah. just super buff and crazy. And, and <laughs> Garner knows, uh, Rockford knows he's going to come in the bathroom and beat the crap out of him. So he takes the soap from the soap container. Puts it all on the floor. Puts a little bit on his so hands. So brilliant. Grabs a roll of quarters, you know, that he, you know he only carries that roll of quarters for yeah. punchy punch. And he's just waiting. And the guy comes in. And as soon as he comes in, he's like, hey, you dumb muscle piece of jerk. And then is like, he's like, huh, you, you're making up. You're, you're trying to make up for something, huh? You're trying to overcompensate. Which I was like, oh, wiener joke in the 70s. But he's like, you're a queer. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, but, you know, it was the 70s. And so that, of course, it totally set the guy up. It was effective. (laughs) 
and he slips on the thing and he punches. Oh him my god, he tries to kick and it's the greatest fall ever. Oh yeah. Oh, and he gets the you know, and he's like, the thing about karate is you assume that the other guy's gonna fight fair. It's a horrible Rockford impersonation, <laughs> but still, it was like, oh man. But it's true. It's true. Uh, so in 2009, NBC Universal Media Studios and Steve Carell's Carousel Television produced a revival of the show. What were they thinking? Uh, David Shore actually was hired to, to head the series, the creator of House. In February 2010, it was announced that Dermot Mulroney oh. was cast as Jim Rockford, Alan Tudyk cast as Detective Dennis Becker, Melissa Sage Miller was cast as Beth Davenport, and Bo Bridges was cast as Rocky. Dermot Mulroney is the opposite of James Garner. He is a wooden he... statue of. He has no <laughs> charm. He's just he like. He does not have the. He's, he's the, the all gravity. those Mulroney, yeah. Dulroney, Mulroney guys, oh, all those Dolmet, yeah. McDermott, McRooney, McBoonies. Dolmet, McBarney? No way is that wooden, humorless, just. No, he is not no, Rockford. No. Yeah. Stop it, people. Yeah. They redid Magnum, which we'll talk about, yeah. which infuriates me. Do not. Look, there is only one Indiana Jones. There is only one Jim Rockford. Well, there was a couple Indiana Jones. but well, Okay. <laughs> yes. The, there was young Indiana Joneses. Yes. yes. What I'm saying but is. But I understand. Don't, I don't want to see Chris Pratt as Indiana Jones. No. And I don't want to see Dilmark McDoomer as. Uh, <laughs> Rockford, man. It's he doesn't. Just, it doesn't work regardless. Make I mean, a new it show. Just doesn't work. Make another. Uh, you know, when was the last time? He, the last I, time I can remember a decent uh, detective show was Terriers. That FX yeah, show, which yeah. was had a lot of promise, but was yeah, canceled yeah. after one season with uh, Donald Logue. Um, well, I mean, but detective shows changed drastically. I mean, yeah. CSI screwed all. But that I mean, up. like a private dick show. Right, Th- right. When's the last right. time we had a good private detective show? I know that there's that um, crappy Magnum redo. It's a lost art, man. There was like, I feel like like TBS and USA had a bunch of... Stumptown uh, was pretty interesting. Like White Collar was kind of a... But it wasn't really a, per, a private detective. There was... Like, I think they canceled it, but the... but uh, um, What's her name from How I Met Your Mother? Uh, Col- Col- uh, Smolders? Kobe, Kobe, Kobe Smolders. Kobe Smolders was in this show called Sumptown where she was like a private detective. Oh, yeah, yeah, Which was yeah. really good. I but watched it, uh, that. But it didn't It didn't do but more than one season, right? I, I don't know. It ca- maybe came it around is? during the pandemic, yeah, so yeah. it's one of those Possibly, shows. Could, yeah. Which hopefully comes back because it was really – that was like kind of a fun detective. It's just that's the thing. It's like crime shows are so serious now. Yeah. And they have to be so yeah. dark and edgy and gory, which I love. I mean, don't get me wrong, man. I love all those shows. Yeah, yeah. But there, there is still a place for a lovable, like I'm telling you, man, I want us to make a show where we combine like Columbo and Rockford and just make this, you know, likable, yeah. no-gun guy that solves crimes. I mean, there's a there's a place for yeah, it. Yeah, I agree. And, I agree. and it's, I think it's lazy that everything has to be the same and everything has to be so it's totally, grim. It's, it's totally lazy. grim. Yeah. Aye. Give us some joy, babies. So, a pilot was filmed but never broadcast. Early audiences indicated that the pilot was not directed well. Yeah. And people were like, Dermot McDoomer is not Rockford. He's a he's a cigar store Indian, man. Yeah, it was, yeah, not good. He's got the the emotional range of a canoe. <laughs> so in May of 2010, they pulled the plug on it. Uh, although a feature adaptation was in production by Universal Pictures as of 2012 with Vince Vaughn associated with the project as producer and star. Maybe. if look. But, but here's the thing. I think that James Garner was still going to be in the show. Oh, 
Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because after he died in 2014, the film adaptation was pretty much abandoned. Well, that, that shows that Vince Vaughn's got some, Yeah. you know. I, would, I could see him doing it. I mean. If anybody. I, yeah. Vince Vaughn would definitely make a good Rumpel detective show. Like, let's forget about Rockford. Let's just do. Do something, yeah. Get him and then. You know, some other frumpy guy. Oh, well, he was, he'd kind of, well, kind of, in um, that HBO show, uh, True Detective. Like, he, in his season of True Detective, I mean, he wasn't really a private investigator, but he, no. but he was good in that. He was I great. Mean, I, I really like him a lot. And I, I he was, <laughs> he was hilarious on the new episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And he was great <laughs> in that uh, Switcheroo Double Do movie where he was the axe murder, you know, oh, the serial the killer. Freaky that, Friday. That turns or into a sorority girl. Freaky? Or I think it was just called it Freaky. It just shows that yeah. he still got that comedy he's yeah, just still a yeah. fun guy to watch and he's he to me kind of has that garner charm yes you know he's got the charm that it takes and now because he's older and kind of balding and getting chubby which <laughs> I, I mean i love i just love middle age i mean i'm a middle-aged guy yeah, i love yeah, middle-aged yeah. actors and it's fun to see these guys that we grew up with becoming oh, these yeah yeah middle-aged actors and he <laughs> he just seems like a real dude and i think he would be perfect as a charming Look, if the, they want yeah, to do Rockford, yeah. I, 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 I reluctantly give my blessing <laughs> with, uh, with him. All right, then it's a green light because we you got Jim's blessing. You green light. <laughs> all right, well, we're out of time. Uh, do yourself a favor. Oh, all of the Rockford Files, all the TV show yeah. is on Peacock. Which you can watch uh, for free with ads. Watch them, and the ads are usually 10 seconds to 60 seconds. Yeah. So it's not long, and there's only a couple breaks. Yeah. But if you can get... Peacock Premium or whatever it's called. It's like 10, five, yeah. 10 bucks. I don't know. But it's such a but great show. Definitely watch it. It is watchable from the beginning. It is ama- It's one of those shows that knew what it was from the very beginning. Ask your dad. Yeah. Everybody's. I watched this show with my. That's one of the things I'm just going to say real quick. I didn't have a great relationship with my stepdad growing up, but we bonded through TV and movies. Yeah. And this was one of the things that we could enjoy together. Nice. And I always look forward to to watching Rockford with them. Nice. Because we both loved it. You know, we could yeah. both be like, yeah, Rockford. You know, so it's just like he brought, you know, it's those kind of things that bring people together sometimes. Yeah. You know? uh, my dad and I did that with MacGyver. Nice. That was our show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I always tried to watch it with him, but yeah. But anyway, uh, but yeah, it was great. Give us, Do yourself a favor. Watch it if you've never seen it. It's so great. James Garner's fantastic in it. Amazing. It's got great stories. Great It actors. is not typical storytelling. Nope. It is outside the box. It is good. I more action than Columbo. Not as talking. Yes, some great guest stars. Uh, amazing supporting actors. It's like watching a mini movie every week. Um, we're and gonna yeah. the longest transition scenes ever in the history of Hollywood. Well, that's gonna be a theme <laughs> for this month because yes. they spent a lot of time driving and oh, old Marky Post. Oh, he got yeah. a lot. He they worked his little fingers to the oh, bone yeah. doing scoring because there was a lot of like. <laughs> Especially, especially in the TV movie pilot, man, oh, yeah. like half the movie is him just driving to places. Yeah, that's how they got stuff. it made. <laughs> We're going to be back next week with, uh, oh man, the other amazing, the Wild Rockford was the greatest private detective in the seventies. Yes. Magnum, greatest private detective in the eighties. Oh my god, and uh, probably my favorite, just because yeah. that was my jam. Yeah. when I was old enough to really enjoy it. And I can't wait to talk about this. Oh, God, I love this. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Next week, babies. Thanks for listening. Mr. Rockford, this is Bob Johnson from the World Life. uh, uh, (laughs) Mr. Johnson, uh, Mr. Rockford, this is...
Uh, they created the Rockford character as a rather significant departure from typical defection. De- excuse me. Wow. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming, Family Ties, already in progress. 